what Keep Kids Alive is all about. It's all about preserving relationships. smile was really infectious and warm, but he was a really kind and a very compassionate boy. Nickel was one of those kids who was extremely humble and would not tell stories about himself or the good acts that he had done in the school. He was an avid reader, like you would find him reading books at all times of the day. It is kind of a good problem to have, but I had to hide books from him because he wouldn't go to bed on time and then he would get up early to read his book. Grassroots advocacy is the only way to try and change behaviors through legislation, but legislation is not going to pass unless you know they can hear the actual stories of what people are going through. But it's also really a platform for people like us to channel our grief into action. Everybody thinks that this is not a sexy topic. Nobody really wants to dwell too much on it because they think it's not going to happen to me till it does. I want to welcome our listeners today to the Keep Kids Alive podcast. I'm Tom Everson. I'm the executive director and founder of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. We're a nonprofit that works on uh, traffic safety education with communities across the country. And a special piece of our, our mission has been the, uh, the privilege, the honor to connect with families uh, whose loved ones have died in traffic incidents and uh, have so much uh, to share through their stories that hopefully call us to be uh, accountable and to pay attention to our own driving behaviors so that we can create safer roadways for the benefit of all who walk, cycle, play, drive, and ride. That really is our mission. And today we have uh, Sangeeta and Sunil Badlani Nikhil's parents, who are uh, joining us from West Orange, New Jersey, and uh, they have a story to share about Nikhil and about the work that their foundation has been doing in his honor and as part of his legacy. Sangeeta, Sunil, I want to welcome you to the podcast today. Uh, Thank you, Tom, and thank you for having us uh, today and giving us the opportunity to share our story. You know, I have shared my story several times with students uh, when I'm visiting schools. And uh, each time when I share my story, it's just feels different. It's though the emotions are the same. So uh, I will apologize to the listeners right now if I do break down when I'm telling my story. I just uh, want to apologize beforehand. I'm going to jump in because uh, no apologies necessary. I, I read a reflection earlier this week and it was on grief. And it was on grief, uh, just coming out in tears and how powerful and important tears are in our lives because they speak in their own language and they, they speak to us, they speak to other people if we're uh, listening. And so if tears come, we're okay with that. And, uh, you know, hopefully our listeners will be drawn into those tears and uh, yours and Nikhil's story and give us some just cause to pause, I think, and, uh, reflect on uh, on our own experience and our own lives as well. So, you know, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. So I'll start with, you know, where we are now and how did we get here today? Okay. So on uh, June 11, 2011, you know, it was not an ordinary day for us. It was a very special day. Uh, today was the day when Nikhil was going to go for his very first sailing lesson uh, with his father. And we'd been waiting for this day uh, because he had to turn 10 before he could start sailing. And so we were really excited and looking forward to the day the school year was almost ending. He had some trips uh, planned from the school. So all in all, it had been a very good school year for him. Around 6.30 that morning, I went into his room. And as usual, he was lying on the bed reading a book. And we talked about what we were going to do for the day. And then I went out for my run and I came back home. I made him his favorite breakfast of bagels with cream cheese and and, uh, egg. And then around 11 o'clock, the two left 
And I remember, you know, like normally I would just wait to Nikhil, but I remember hugging him because I was like, oh, this is so exciting that you're going on your sailing lesson. And I want to hear all about it when you come back. So around 3 p.m., I received a call from an unknown caller and uh, the caller identified themselves as a police officer and uh, mentioned to me that your husband has been in a car crash and uh, he handed the phone over to Sunil. So at that point, I was sitting on the pavement and I actually had tried calling her up earlier, didn't work. And then somebody said, I'll try again. And they then handed over the phone to me. And when I spoke to her, I was like, it was all trepidation. I didn't know what to say. And all she wanted to know, are you okay? Are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. But she said, what about Nikhil? What about Nikhil? And I said, I really don't know. And it was the toughest thing for me to share with her because it was... It was a mess. There were like three cars all over, strewn all, all over the street. I didn't know what hit me. It was just happening such a, in a split second. And I knew things didn't look good, but at the same time, I had this feeling that, you know, it, it'll, it'll be fine. So if I had this feeling that, you know, things generally turn out fine. So that that's what I was kind of uh, grabbing hold of. I was sitting on the side of the pavement. And like, what happened? Basically, reconstruct, you know, what once they reconstructed and we thought, I thought through what might have happened. What, what transpired was I was on the county road. I had the right of way. I was kind of not. I was going at the speed limit because a uh, traffic light was coming up anyway. But unbeknownst to me, there was a car that came up the hill to my right and uh, it clipped the rear right wheel of my car and just basically threw me into a, into a spin. And the car went around once or twice. I don't know really how, how often, but finally we just came to a thud and, um, Finally, I tried to take stock of where I was, what was going on. Looked around, there was blood all over the place. Nikhil didn't look great. He was lying on his side. First, I said, I got out. I was on the side too. So finally managed to get myself out. And there's a, by then people had started coming. There was a, a person in the, in the neighborhood who heard the crash. It came out. He extricated me. And then they just, took me to the side of the pavement and I wanted to go back and, you know, try and help Nikhil out and they just wouldn't let me. But I think in short order, they, um, they called the, the ambulance and police and everybody, everybody landed up. And that's when I tried to contact Sangeeta and, uh, we spoke for a brief bit. I really had no concrete information to give her. It was just like, yeah, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Don't worry. Then finally we said, okay, we'll, you know, that by then they, they, they sort of escorted me into the ambulance. A little bit of time had elapsed, but they escorted me into the, into the ambulance. I kept asking, how's, how's Nikhil doing? How's Nikhil doing? They, there was very little information coming forward. They say, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Let's get you all to the hospital. And so then we, said, okay, we'll see each other at the hospital. And that's why I handed it over back back to her. Yeah, so uh, at that time, Tom, you know, I was told that they were bringing Sunil to the St. Barnabas Hospital and they were going to bring Nikhil to a trauma center. They wouldn't give me any additional information. So I was on my way to the hospital when I got a call saying that they brought Nikhil to the same hospital as Sunil. So when I got there to the ICU, you know, I asked for Nikhil um, because I knew that Sunil was okay since I'd spoken to him. And they said, oh, we are going to bring you first to your husband. And I walked over to uh, where uh, Sunil was lying in the hospital bed. And I asked him, have you heard anything about Nikhil? And they're like, he said that they haven't said anything to him. And I'm sitting on the chair and I 
at that point knew that it's not going to be good. And soon, you know, just after a few minutes, uh, a group of doctors and nurses walked into our room and uh, told us that uh, they tried to save him, but they couldn't. You know, we, I didn't ask any details at that point. I just like, I just remember I was sitting on a chair and I just fell off the chair and I said, can you not bring me to my son? And uh, they walked us over to his room. He was laying in the hospital bed. I still could not believe what they had said. And I kept looking for signs of life even then. And at one point I felt like I thought he moved and I ran to the nurses and I said, I think he's fine, you know, but clearly, you know, he was not. And uh, we were told that uh, he died instantly. And, uh, you know, soon after the news spread within our community, family, friends, they were at the ICU uh, and uh, my my mom, who had lost her husband, my father, four years ago, I just did not know how I could break the news to her that her grandson was dead now. And uh, she lives in India, so does my sister. So we had to let them know. We gave the news to them. And when we came home, we had friends just coming over till like 1 a.m. At some point, you know, everybody left and uh, we tried to go to bed. But of course, we knew it was not going to happen. And uh, to... The other part is, which we haven't got to, is breaking into our son, uh, youngest son, Ane. She first, when she wanted to come over, she had to kind of go drop him off somewhere because obviously she didn't want to have tag, him tag around, tag along all these places. So she went first, dropped him off, then, then got to the hospital. And then when we finally met him at nine o'clock, I think it was nine, right? It was pretty. It was quite late. Quite at late nine. in the evening. Yeah. And his first question was, "Where's my brother?" So difficult, but I think we decided we had already spoken about it. And we kind of said we gotta come clean because I mean, eventually we have to let him know. So we figured rather than playing games and trying to. You know, prevaricate, might as well just let him know as gently as possible. So we told him and he was completely in shock and didn't know how to process it either. And it was just so hard. What is their age difference? So they were five years apart and he okay, was six and a okay. half years at the time. That was a very young. And he, yeah, he was yeah, very young. Very and his first question to me is, what's going to happen to the person who killed my brother? Is that person going to jail? And that's a question I ask every time I'm speaking at, uh, at schools, you know, and I ask them, what do you think happened? You know, and I think at this point, everybody knows, you know, that the justice is not fair, uh, our system. Uh, so, you, you know, we did break the news to him. But again, six, at six and a half, you don't know that death means it's permanent. He's really not going to be back. Um, and we had families sitting down with him, talking to him, you know, but he, clearly he knew that something was wrong. Something was very wrong. And, you know, on before when I heard about the crash, he knew that they had, he asked me because he saw that I was very upset and I was walking back and pacing back and forth till I got a ride to the hospital. and. He kept telling me, Mom, Nikhil's going to be okay. I know he's going to be okay. And then I had to break this news to him. But at night when we went to bed, you know, he we put him to bed. And then I laid there on my bed. And then I walked over to Nikhil's room. And he his room was just as he had left it that morning. Well, when you think about Nikhil, what spark did he give this world? Uh 
What did you admire in him? His smile. His smile was really infectious and warm. And in the picture that actually I sent you, Mm -hmm. you know, shows that. Uh, But he was a really kind and a very compassionate boy. And a lot of the stories that we heard about him, we heard later after he passed away. And that's how it is because Nickel was one of those kids who was extremely humble and would not, you know, tell stories about himself or the good acts that he had done in the school. But it was always, you know, Nickel was just very kind to his peers we heard from parents on, you know, how he helped the kid in school, whether it was with their homework or it, whether it was just including them in his circle. So if there was a new kid coming into the school, he would just welcome them, walk them around the school, make them feel comfortable. And even at a very young age, he was extremely confident. He was not afraid to speak his mind and he was very comfortable with public speaking. When you think about uh, stories that people have shared with you about Nikhil, is there one that really just stands out for you and that kind of captures his spirit? Yes, I do remember one time I'd taken him and his friend to a program at Rutgers College. It was a science program and Nikhil was really, you know, he had this thirst for knowledge. So he um, was always intrigued with uh, in the science, you know, and I'd taken him for this course and he and his friend were sitting there and then they came. There was another third person from their school who was there also, but that person was really shy. And uh, Nikhil walked up to him and he says, hey, why don't you come and sit with us? You know, of course, at that point, I wasn't paying attention to that. But after he passed away, his mother came to told me that you remember that, you know, that class that they had done and how her son felt so good about it, that he was being included and they were sitting and they were talking and laughing. And just that little act of kindness, you know, had such a great and warm feeling for the mother and for the son. You know, and the mother has always remembered that. And even now she, to this day, after 10 years, she talks about that all the time and she shares it with everybody. It, uh, it reminds me that uh, every act of kindness can become a memory that travels, you know, with, uh, with people and with ourselves, you know, throughout the rest of our whole lives. And so, uh, you know, recognizing the opportunity that uh, presents itself on any particular day, you know, it's good to hear that uh, that, that was the heart and spirit of Nikhil. Yeah. He loved animals. He loved dogs. He loved, I mean, one regret I have is we never got him a dog because, I mean, we didn't want to deal with, it It was enough having two kids. Full-time <laughs> work. Full-time work. He said, no, forget it. It's gonna, we, we can't deal with it. Both of us are working. But in hindsight, you know, he really, he, I got him a, I found this somewhere else, a huge, um, Encyclopedia on on dogs. It was like a, you could open up any page and it had every dog you could ever think of. And he would literally go through it and keep reading ad nauseum. And that was his, I don't know whether that was a way for him to put himself to sleep or what, but he would, he would keep reading it. And when we would go out, he would see these dogs and say, oh, that's this breed. Oh, that's that breed. I remember we had gone to Montreal once and we saw this very strange and never seen this breed before. And he said, I think it's this breed. I said, hmm, the only way we'll find out is if we ask the owner. So I said, why don't you go and ask the owner? So he he was, how old was he? It was about, he was probably nine, I think, about two years before, nine or 10. He went up and he asked the the owner, which which breed is this? And he was right, bang on. (laughs) Yeah, your story resonates with me. Uh, Wendy, my wife and I, we have four kids and uh, our daughter is our youngest and uh, she always wanted to have a dog herself. Wendy's allergic to just about anything with fur. And so, so that was our, that was our fallback. But uh, when the pandemic started, uh, 
And back in April of uh, 2020, Aaron got her, she adopted her dream dog. Uh, his name is Rogie. He's a little uh, corgi dog. And uh, she always wanted to have a corgi. And now uh, she created a traffic safety campaign called hashtag safe roads for Rogie. Yeah. She puts out a meme with Rogie in it every Wednesday. Uh, in fact, the new one came out today. It had to do with observing stop signs. Rogie's always got a lesson to to teach and uh, he always looks so he always looks so happy <laughs> too. It's a creative way to actually teach humans, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I think that's very very uh, innovative. So yeah, Erin got caught up in our uh, in our mission as she was growing up because she's 27 now, but then, so she created this whole campaign and, and, uh, I'm delighted. I, I could not have anticipated it. I couldn't have directed her to do that or anything. She just did. And, uh, you know, Rogie's become a real friend to uh, all of us because he just seems to be a happy dog who wants to teach us a lot of lessons. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so he loved, uh, he loved animals. He loved anything to do with nature. He used to, watch Blue uh, Blue Planet, the David Attenborough series, which uh, got him a whole bunch of eight or nine DVDs. He would watch it all the time. And uh, he was a font of knowledge when it came to anything dealing with uh, that topic. And I remember he was probably five or six at that point when I was going to London for a, uh, for a business trip. And he said, Please say hi to David Attenborough for me. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to meet him, but, <laughs> but you know, just so innocent and, you know, um, that, that was his world. Yeah. <laughs> you go to London, you got to say hi to him. Oh, sounds like he was definitely a candidate to be on Jeopardy. <laughs> oh, yes. He, he when it came to animals, for sure. Yeah. I know he wanted to be. Well, he loved dinosaurs, you know, at the age of three, yeah. and he knew like all the names of the dinosaurs. And somebody asked him, what do you want to be? And he says, I want to be a paleontologist. And I'm like, who is a paleontologist? Like, I, I didn't even know. I had to look it up. And this kid, he's a three-year-old and he wants to be a paleontologist. You know, I mean, those are the things. He was yeah. just so intrigued. You know, he, he had that interest in just uh, that thirst to learn. Um, so this was, and if you recall early on, I mentioned that, you know, that, that morning I went into his room and he was reading a book. He was an avid reader. Like you would find him reading books at all times of the day. And, you know, it is kind of a good problem to have, but I had to hide books from him because he wouldn't go to bed on time and then he would get up early <laughs> to read his book. So I was hiding books like Nikhil, you need to go to bed so you can get up early and be to, uh, in school on time. <laughs> so I know it was a good problem to have, but he just loved reading his books, you know. And yeah, so that was one thing. And then I want to share about his passion for music. Yeah, he really totally loved music. He took to the piano fairly early and he kept taking lessons and then he took to trumpet because he had to pick an instrument. So I think in fifth grade, I think he picked trumpet and then uh, he was good friends with, with the band director. And when it came time to, I think first year we had rented it or something and then we said, okay, this is, doesn't make sense. If you're really into it, let's go buy you one. We didn't know anything about music. So the band director came along with us to the store to pick the instrument they played it and they said okay fine this is the one for you and then uh, he was actually going to start his private trumpet lessons the week when this crash happened he was very avidly into music love singing love you know at that point in time he just had the habit of humming all the time you know a little bit one little tune here one little tune there and at that point, I used to find it sort of annoying <laughs> because in the background. <laughs> and then, um, and now I would just kill to hear it again. But, you know, c'est la vie. Do you hear that humming in your head once in a while? Oh, yeah. I do. I do. We found some recordings of him, actually. Uh, I think he was recording himself singing to a song. 
I don't know who came across it. And it's just like crazy poses and him singing away to Lady Gaga, you know. <laughs> it was just amazing. And he had a beautiful voice. He had a really beautiful yeah. voice. Yeah, it was um, part of the chorus, what we? Chorus. Choir, choir or chorus, yeah. or whatever they call that. I forget exactly. But then, what um, you know, when the crash happened, his band director, who had gone with him to purchase his trumpet, he composed a song in his memory called Forever Friends. He then put the group together and they all rehearsed. I think they had one rehearsal and that was it. And then they performed at the memorial. several times at our concerts and his sixth grade teacher also you know where he used to in the music room he had a cubby where he would put his uh, instrument he has not he's just put his yeah. name over there and he's like would not allow anyone to put their trumpet there he told me one time uh, that he got really mad when someone went and put their instrument there and I said you know what I think Nickel would have not liked that so please let them use the cubby because it is, it should be used, you know. He was a sharing person. Yeah. He was a sharing person, exactly. So that's that's what it was with him. But um, yeah, that was his way of, you know, honoring and dedicating a space for Nikhil in everybody's mind. That that was his, his spot. So we appreciated his gesture, though. But I want to segue with that because you set up a foundation uh, in Nikhil's honor and memory as a legacy to him, and it focuses in on the arts. So uh, I'd like to invite you to talk a little bit about uh, Nikhil's foundation and what it does, what it's about. Yeah, so when uh, Nikhil was on the hospital bed, I made a promise to him that his loss will not be in vain and he would not be just another statistic. So soon after uh, we established the Nikhil Badlani Foundation, uh, the family and friends, they all felt we needed to honor his memory. We wanted to obviously do something to prevent tragedies like ours, but we also wanted to embody what Nikhil stood for, which was his passion for music and gift for academics. So the mission of a foundation is to, you know, raise traffic safety awareness uh, and also nurture the academic and musical talent in our children. So we started the foundation in June was the crash and July we had set up the foundation. We really moved at a very fast pace. 
August, we held our very first fundraising event, uh, which was not just a fundraising event, but also it was uh, a, a way to raise awareness to traffic safety issues. And since then, we have spent over 180000 on traffic safety initiatives, and we have given out uh, academic scholarships to over 100 students, so roughly around $190,000. And then we also offer individualized music lessons to uh, students, and that was really an inspiration from Nikhil because Nikhil had a friend who was a great musician but could not afford private lessons. And so, because he did not have the means for it. And we thought that, you know, because Nikhil was going to start actually uh, with the Youth Orchestra of Essex County, he was going to start performing uh, trumpet in their uh, junior group. And so that's where we got the inspiration for the music program that we call our Music for Nikhil program. And we've had over 140 students go through that program. And one of the biggest element of the program is uh, the voice lessons to special needs students. Every year we've had musical concerts other than, you know, we also had one last year. This is our first year that we were not able to hold a musical concert. We had it last year virtually and we had the kids perform. And it was the challenge to put that together because you have multiple people playing at the same time. So they have to be sync up. And, you know, there were all these challenges. Plus, I think, you know, the fact that they were also now doing school remotely and then doing the music lessons remotely just became uh, too much. So we are hoping that uh, in September when kids are back in school, that we will again, you know, resume our music lessons. But that is what we have been really doing and on the traffic safety we have been working really hard on changing the traffic behavior legislation you know educating students because you know we know uh, that this is the traffic crashes is the leading cause of death in teens so one one thing i wanted to say over there like i mean from when we're trying to figure out what to do with the foundation we obviously wanted to have it'd be embodiment of what Nikhil stood for. But from our perspective, trying to do, create, raising traffic safety awareness was a big part. So that's how we kind of ended up, you know, making sure that there, it has multiple components, traffic safety being, you know, something that we are very passionate about now. And also making sure that there's Nikhil's passions continue to live on. You're involved now with, uh, the New Jersey chapter for Families for Safe Streets. And how did that connection come about? At some point, I remember that through our journey, like we did not have any support system. And, you know, I would just read books to understand how does one move on from here? Like, how do I even go from here? And I remember um, three weeks after I just could not stay at home. And I was like, I need to get, go back to work to distract me, something to distract me. Otherwise it, this was like, I was, it was like, uh, digging myself into this black hole. And I remember I worked in New York city. And so the first day I was in New York city, you know, I stood at this intersection. I was right across from the, my building and I'm just watching people walk by. And I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, so much has changed for us. And yet, you know, nothing has changed here. It's, it's people are still walking by. People are trying to get from one, you know, destined, uh, one place to another. And it just was extremely surreal what had happened with us. And at some point, friends from Families for Safe Streets in New York City, where Families for Safe Streets originated, one of the members from there, um, Judy Kotick, reached out to me. And we may have run into people who knew us, but we had never met each other. And we had heard of each other. And so we ended up talking and I went to one of their meetings and we started talking about you know, how about we bring something like this to New Jersey also? 
And uh, so we had a first meeting. I already knew some of the people in New Jersey who had been in a similar situation as us, some who had been seriously injured also. And so uh, we started the Families for Safe Streets New Jersey chapter. But the New York one was created by by parents who had lost their children in similar crashes and they had come together and then they had created... uh, created this chapter and they basically realized that, you know, grassroots advocacy is the only way to try and change change behaviors through legislation. But legislation is not going to pass unless, you know, they can hear the the actual stories of what people are going through. So that's how Families for Safe Street was formed. And then we, as Singida described, once we got in touch with them, they said, hey, why don't we try and get the same concept to New Jersey? And then since then, she's been in touch with people in in other cities as well. And we've been meeting on a Yeah, now they have a family basis. for Safe Streets National, right? Which we have about 18 chapters around the country. But it's also really a platform for people like us to channel our grief into action, you know, and also to provide support services for people like us. Like I said, we did not know you know, how do we navigate through our grief? How do we cope with a loss? And, uh, and, and that's why we established this chapter. Yeah, our, our listeners might remember that Amy Cohen was one of our guests just a few months ago. You know, she was instrumental in starting uh, Families for Safe Streets in, in New York and uh, is such a go-getter in terms of being able to influence legislation. And, you know, some of the things that they've done, I think one of the things I recall was just being able to uh, get the speed limits lowered from 30 to 25 and to do that in a six-month period through uh, legislative action in New York. And having been involved in some legislative action myself uh, through our work with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, that's a miracle almost. I mean, to, you know, to, to move any legislation regarding any issue in six months is just amazing. And we here in, uh, you know, since I've connected with uh, with Amy, I'm trying to work with our local uh, safety council here to be able to establish a uh, chapter here in Omaha and in, uh, in Nebraska because there are families everywhere who really have the, the passion and, and reason to be able to go to uh, leg- legislative se- sessions and, and really advocate for what needs to happen. Right. My thing is, is that every good traffic law at its heart should be about preserving relationships. I always like to keep that in mind whenever I, I look at, uh, you know, whatever comes down the, the pipe in terms of uh, legislation. Is this something that really is, is working to preserve relationships? It's interesting because you bring up that legislation of the cameras that they, uh, a program that they have in New York City right now. They're like really the role model for all of the other cities having automated enforcement programs. And I, I think at some point, because when they started the Families for Safe Streets, if I remember, it was back in 2014, and they had heard about our foundation and uh, had heard about Nichols Law that was implemented in New Jersey. So, you know, soon after the crash, we were working with our legislator, uh, Assemblyman John McKean, who sponsored Nichols Law. And Nichols Law is really uh, now uh, implemented through the New Jersey Motor Vehicle Commission. And it is uh, one of the questions on the test that new drivers take. <laughs> I won't say it's, a, it's not a question, but it's uh, one of the informational uh, topics that they have on the test. And uh, Nichols Law is, it is to notify and inform uh, new drivers, you know, about the dangers of disobeying traffic laws and also gives them the option to take the stop for nickel safety pledge, which Sunil worked very hard on closely with some yeah. uh, uh, another friend of ours who's actually uh, on our board. Um, do you want to talk about the stop? For yeah, safety so pledge? our idea over there with the safety pledge was we, we thought it would be a good idea to get Nichols law passed and then the question was, okay, what do we want the law to do? My thought was didn't want to have anything necessarily punitive per se, just wanted to try and change people's driving behaviors. And the thought was that if somebody signs up for a pledge, they are more likely to follow the, the basic rules of the road. And even if they don't 
actually sign up, but if they read about it, hopefully it's there nestled somewhere in their brain and has some sort of and has an effect on their driving patterns. So that that was the genesis and the rationale behind uh, having Nikhil's Law. So what we kind of said it should do is the pledge should cover four things. One is you got to stop completely because that's what happened in our case. This woman who was driving was distracted. And when they when she came to the stop sign, didn't see it, just ran right through onto the county road. So stopping completely was a was the biggest part of the pledge. Second was staying alert. Was so you you're always cognizant of what's going on around you, have your hands on the wheels. And then third was talk safe because that's like the biggest thing. People get phone calls and all the distractions. The idea was we were actually contemplating whether we say, okay, no talking at all, but it's not going to be practical. So it's okay, you, if you have to talk, you do it hands-free. So you have your hands on the wheel and you're not, not distracted. But we but, only encourage people to actually pull over, pull over. And, and, and talk. I always remind myself with, uh, you know, the research that's come out over the years that even if somebody's uh, hands-free, that they're probably looking straight ahead they're not using their peripheral vision to really scan what's what's happening. I think I had shared a story on a, another podcast, but it just about when I heard heard that information, uh, I had dropped Erin uh, off to school and I left the car with her that day to uh, drive home. And then I ran home and uh, I it was about a 10 or 11 mile run. So I was challenging myself that day. But I was along a, a busy street uh, here in Omaha at what's oxymoronically called rush hour because nobody's moving very fast. <laughs> but one of the things that I noticed was I was trying to notice who was on a cellular device. And whenever they, whenever I saw somebody, I would go out on the easement. I was on the sidewalk and I'd go on the easement and I would wave at them. I waved at like 30 cars and you probably know how many responses I got because I, I got zero. I mean, everybody was so absorbed in their conversation that they didn't know I was there. And obviously I was controlling my movements, but you know, if you're talking about a neighborhood or something like that, uh, you know, children are not always going to control their their, their movements. Uh, pets are not always going to control their movements and, you know, being aware of what's going on. And I was thinking too, uh, as you were sharing about one of the, uh, the purposes of the pledge is to focus on stop signs. Cause one of our initiatives is called stop, take three to see. Uh, and that was, that's Rogie's message today that uh, Aaron put out in, uh, in the meme is, uh, you know, Rogie's admonishing us to, challenging us to, to stop, take three to see, to look left, look right, look left again, to really make sure the, the coast is clear. Because that's something, that's an initiative that we've been able to use not only with stop signs, but also with uh, safe routes to school days, safe walk to school days with uh, school kids uh, to use the same formula that you need to stop and look, look left, look right, look left again too. Uh, so it works on different levels. So no, it's really great to hear that. Yeah, and when you're actually, lots of people get in the car on the way to work, they take, join a conference call and, and keep driving, but their mind is now split between what's going on around them and work. And I don't have the stats, probably nobody has the stats, but I'm sure it must have must contribute to a lot to accidents or crashes on the road. It's You, you really can multitask. You know, people think they can, but it's not safe, at least not, not in when you're driving. In recent years, I've been on the Vision Zero Task Force here in the city of Omaha that was commissioned by our mayor's office. But one of the uh, tasks of the uh, Vision Zero Task Force, and for those of you who are listening who may not be familiar with Vision Zero, Vision Zero, uh, kind of in a nutshell, is about what do we need to do as a culture, as a society, to bring traffic de deaths down to zero. And, you know, for those who think, well, that's impossible, Sangeeta, uh, Sunil, I know you know this, uh, you know, from the bottom of your hearts, the depth of your being, that Nobody would say, well, we want our family member to be the person who dies. And I said, if we, you know, if we would never say that, then, then we ought to act in a way that helps to preserve our lives, the lives of people we care about, and the lives of people all around us uh, who are loved and cared about by their family and friends as well. 
But, you know, coming back to this Vision Zero uh, task force, one of the things that we were commissioned to do is to really look at, you know, what are some of the uh, major reasons why uh, people are dying on our, our roadways. And uh, But one of the things that we came across just in uh, law enforcement helped to make us aware of this was just that uh, a lot of the forms needed to be updated for reporting after crashes because, you know, typically an officer, at least here in Nebraska, would be asked, you know, what's the primary reason why this crash happened? And they have to pick one. Most oftentimes, it's not just one reason. You know, speed typically factors in uh, to the equation, and that might be listed as the number one reason. But underneath that may be the use of somebody's on a cell phone, um, somebody was uh, tailgating, you can fill in the blank in terms of, of different behaviors that people might have uh, been engaged in. And when you take uh, what affected the crash uh, that took Nikhil's life, you know, somebody running a stop sign, but also being distracted uh, by a cellular device, perhaps, you combine those behaviors and it just can't be a formula for something good. Exactly. And actually, that is one of the things, you know, that came up in the, um, you know, we're involved also in the strategic highway safety plan uh, in New Jersey that NJDOT is doing. And, and that form that you're referring to, you know, we were, we had the police officers also part of that planning force. And we were talking about that. So they have like certain boxes that they have to check. Not everything is there right now. Uh, and also when they have to then report it and, you know, put, uh, and put it into the system, you cannot tabulate that information. So essentially, even if you have it in the paper, by the time you translate it and when you're doing some data analysis on that, the information is lost. So how can we, so we, there were discussion about how do we overhaul that whole process? Like, what do we need to do so it's easier and we get as much detail as we can? So we can actually then attack what needs to be changed. You know, we don't have sufficient information right now. Kind of reminds me uh, back in uh, 2003, I connected with Barbara Foster in Texas and her son Kyle was 10 when he was hit and killed on Halloween night. Actually, probably before nighttime, it was late afternoon. And in uh, Texas, the state mandate for residential streets is 30 miles an hour. And they wanted to see that changed. They weren't able to accomplish everything that way, but their state legislator stepped up and um, created what, of course, we call Kyle's Law, her, her son's name, where it's just a little two-paragraph bill that allowed municipalities to easily lower limits on residential streets without having to do a traffic engineering study on every single street in order to do that because the city that they lived in at the time, it would have cost that city $14 million to do the study on every single residential street to try to justify this. And it's kind of what I call common sense legislation. I was asked to come down and testify on behalf of uh, Kyle's law when it went before the transportation committee. And uh, those are always nerve wracking kind of times because you wonder, you know, do we have a receptive audience? This was back in 2005, and in 1999, there actually was just this little piece of data that, uh, you know, sometimes you really have to mine for these things. But uh, I found in a, um, a report on uh, police-reported crashes that demonstrated that pedestrian deaths uh, increased by threefold in 30-mile-an-hour zones versus 25-mile-an-hour zones. And just that piece of information, the people on the transportation committee said, oh, you know, if that's so, we need to do something. And uh, fortunately, the traffic engineer for the state uh, echoed that because he had the final say at the hearing. And uh, I knew his whatever he said was going to carry a lot of weight. Fortunately, I was kind of, I have to own, I was totally surprised because he got up and said, well, we just need to listen to that guy from Nebraska and get this thing out of committee and onto the floor. And two months later, it was signed into law, you know, which gave municipalities in Texas uh, another tool to use. Because we ended up working with uh, some communities around the, uh, around the state who initiated uh, the lowering of the limit, but then they started a Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 campaign 
as an educational component to engage the the, the residents in uh, in the process of recognizing it's not just the changing a number on a sign, that there's a behavior that needs to follow that. Right. right. That that's pretty cool that you man you all managed to get that law passed in such a short time. Mm-hmm. I have to give all due credit to uh, the representative from their district who stepped up to write the legislation in the first place, so that there actually was something to speak on behalf of. Right. So, you know, it, it just goes to, and again, when you talk about Families for Safe Streets, this was a very grassroots movement. I mean, it started right in their neighborhood and, uh, you know, people banding together, neighbors banding together. And it's like, we, we, we can't have this happen again. And we need to do with what's in our power to do to influence the legislation that can hopefully help to uh, protect other people as well, people who will never meet but who end up benefiting from Kyle's law, just as with Nikhil's law, people that uh, you may never meet, but that are affected by the fact that you did this. So right. thank you. So, and the final, uh, the fourth component of the pledge is plan ahead. So give yourself an extra five minutes to get to your destination. And thought over there is, you know, if people are not in a hurry, you know, you'll have fewer crashes. So everything is very common sense. Nothing is like complex to understand. It just makes sense right away. But again, not everybody follows them. Well, but I, th- I think, you know, Sunil, one of the things that it makes me think about when you talk about uh, the arts and, you know, whether it's music or a play well, or a painting, you know, a play doesn't happen by accident. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, of planning and practice that go into that, which is true of, of any kind of uh, musical performance as well. And, uh, you know, how might we draw lessons, you know, from the arts in this case that apply to our driving behavior, you know, that we actually think about what it is that we're, we're going to engage in. And, you know, if we're going to perform behind the wheel, you know, it's not a matter of, uh, you know, how many songs we can sing, but how we can uh, exercise our ability to, uh, to drive in a way that demonstrates our strengths, how uh, well we can do it and all, and, uh, and put ourselves in the position to do that. Because, you know, one of the things that uh, I would always say, well, I've probably said this too many times for some people, <laughs> but, but, you know, for, for example, I mean, if, if somebody in a play was talking on a hands-free device during the play, you know, what, what, how would that turn out? You know, I mean, the whole thing would fall apart and, and we could see the absurdity of that when it comes to a play. But can we see the absurdity of that behind the wheel, you know, where we have a role to play as well? And it's more dangerous. Yes, much more dangerous. You're risking your life. You're risking your life and others. Whereas if you're in the play, they'll just stop performing. You know, that's the worst that can happen. Or people in the audience, you know, 20 years later will have a great story to tell. Uh, You know, it's far different uh, when we get behind the wheel. Well, I kind of want to start to to wrap up. uh, And, you know, in doing so, I guess, you know, one question I want to ask is just, is there anything that you've been thinking about as, as we've been talking that you'd say... I really want to make sure that our audience hears this, you know, before we wrap up. I think what I want to tell our listeners is, you know, the reason we went into great detail with our story is because I wanted them to hear the pain that we go through every day, you know, the pain and guilt of outlining our child. And that is every parent's worst nightmare. So I'd like for the listeners to follow their role, rules of the road. And again, we talked about some of the stuff is there's no call or message that is important, right? That you have to be on the phone, especially when you are behind the wheel. And to know that your actions behind the wheel have negative consequences. So by following all these safe driving practices, you know, we will save lives, right? Uh, what I would like the listeners to do is to write or call their legislators right now. 
We are campaigning for zero traffic deaths by 2050. This was a resolution that was introduced by Senator Blumenthal and Representative uh, Shokpaski. And it was introduced on July 27th, but we need many more to co-sponsor this resolution. So I would really encourage everyone to get a call their legislators to uh, have them sign up as a co-sponsor for this resolution. And if you're a legislator and listening to this podcast, I want them to know that traffic deaths are a public health crisis, you know, and they really need to take action now. So during COVID, we've been reminded again and again that each life is precious. And the only acceptable number on our roadways of traffic death is zero. So if you're not, it's not zero then who are we willing to lose? So I really want the listeners to take some actions, help us support us, build, and help us keep the promise that we make to Nick Hill. And, you know, everybody thinks this is not a sexy topic. Nobody really wants to dwell too much on it because they think it's not going to happen to me till it does. I mean, we, we lose as many people to traffic deaths as to cancer, maybe. Breast cancer. Uh, breast cancer is about 30,000 a year. That's about the same. Third. So the numbers go between 30 and 40,000 nationally a year, which is just way too high. Uh, we don't lose that many people to war every year. If there was, if you lose even a tenth of it of the number, there'll be a big, huge cry if it happens in a plane, plane crash, for example. But, you know, this is just another mode of transportation. There's no reason for us to lose our loved ones just because. People aren't either following the rules of the road or just common sense. So we need everybody's um, everybody's cooperation and to to change things around. Well, one question uh, that came to mind that I I didn't ask you, <laughs> but I, I would like to you know what's been your what's been your greatest support system uh, over these past ten years? Definitely our family. I think it has really brought all of us close. Nikhil had, has many cousins, many cousins and uncles and aunts and, and our friends and the community. The, uh, I, I have cannot speak enough for our West Orange community, how they all came together. And even after 10 years, they continue to support us. They're there for our Stop for Nikhil, which we have this year on Sunday, September 19th. And it's in person and virtual. So if you're listening to this podcast, please go and register uh, or donate at Stop for Nikhil. So it's S-T-O-P-F-O-R-N-I-K-H-I-L dot org. You know, all of the programs that we've talked about are funded through this one and only fundraiser. So, you know, our support system is is just everybody over here and then we are continuing to build so many relationships, just like you, Tom. We met uh, you through the, our journey, and we have met some wonderful people, and it's been very, very supportive. The other thing that I want to talk to, you know, anyone who's listening and who's lost a loved one, uh, the one thing I always felt, and I know I'm kind of digressing a little bit, but I know from us, especially for me, I felt that people did not want to mention the name of their loved one because they were afraid that, you know, it will bring on all these emotions and they didn't want to hurt you. What I want to tell you is please do not tiptoe around the people who have lost their loved one because they, they want to hear the name of the loved one. They want to hear stories because they know that even though they're not here, that they're not forgotten and they'll always be remembered. So if you know someone who's lost a loved one, be there for them, tell them stories, mention the name of their loved one, don't be shy, don't be afraid of hurting their feelings. And then again, I had to tell my family that. It's not natural. Nobody knows how to act around others, you know, when they've suffered a loss. Uh, But I really want to share this, and no one shared that with me. Uh, so I want to share that with our listeners. Well, thank you. 
You know, if people would like more information uh, about Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, you can visit our, our website at keepkidsalivedrive25.org. But also on our uh, Facebook page, we'll be promoting Stop for Nikhil for the 5K on September 19th. And I know, I gather there's a virtual option. So no matter where you are uh, in this country or in the world, you have the opportunity to run or walk 3.1 miles in honor of Nikhil and in support of... Um, or a Nikhil, bike too, uh, Tom. They can even do a bike ride because we don't want to forget the bike cyclists. <laughs> they are very important. And as we've seen in the last year, exactly. the traffic deaths for bicyclists have gone up significantly. So we definitely want to make sure that the road is not just for the drivers, but it's for all road users. So cyclists out there, please feel free to join in. If you want to walk your dog, if you want to push a stroller with your child in it, those are all options too, is to, to get out and uh, create a memory uh, for yourself, for your family, and in honoring Nikhil as well and supporting the foundation. So we'll have that link up and we'll continue to promote that on our Keep Kids Alive Facebook page uh, that you can visit as well. So thanks, Tom, for the opportunity and this wonderful conversation. Uh, thanks to all your listeners and uh, look forward to doing this again sometime. Well, thank you. And I, I, I'm looking forward to when we meet in person. Thank you for listening. Please visit kkad25.org to find out how you can support Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. And get involved by following on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, it's about kids, it's about safety, it's about caring, it's about time.